to hold in... I should start again, shouldn't I? Because you were just sat there like that at the start. It'd be a bit weird, wouldn't it? You should hold and give, but do not the right time. But the right time is now to do a podcast about that there football. Welcome back to the Hold and Give Football Podcast. I am Ross Tweddle, or as the Germans like to call me, Lord Horse Tweddle. Just been to Borussia Dortmund and back. Many confirmation email kicked off with, Dear Lord Horse Tweddle. It makes you sound like some kind of like dock worker, and I'm into it. A dock worker, not a, not a not a aristocrat. What kind of aristocrat can you can you imagine called Lord Horse? <laughs> All of them. Hey, hello there, I'm Lord Horse Twaddle. How are you doing? You know how it goes. Saying that, yeah, wasn't the? I don't know if he's still involved with Arsenal, but was it the former chairman who was Sir Chips Keswick? <laughs> You've just made that up. <laughs> no, Sir Chips. Sir Chips was involved because Arsenal used to be like Lady Fotherington Smythe and all that, wasn't it? It was like proper like hoity-toity families had owned Arsenal for years and years. But yeah, yeah. Sir Chips Keswick. Sir Chips yeah. Keswick and Lord Horse Tweddle. So Chips, as you take a sip from your little tea mug there, very dainty. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm all right, thank you. Um, it's... A couple of days before I've got a week off, because we all know I love, you know, avoiding work. Um, <laughs> but apart from that, I'm, I'm all right. How are you? I'm delightful just getting back in the swing of things after a, a life short and three days in Dortmund. Many pints were had, many sausages were had. Sometimes at the same time, I had a great time, though. What a trip it was. How was it seeing the uh, the yellow wall in person? Was it all it's cracked up to be? It, yeah, especially it's like there's a scent. I didn't realize, by the way, they get in there around about two hours before kickoff. The yellow wall just to start creating the noise, and when the players go out and warm up, then they start with the drums and whatnot. But yeah, the central section, like right from the top to the bottom, the central section of the yellow wall didn't stop the entire ninety minutes. And I assume the two minutes, uh, two minutes, the two hours before kickoff as well, when they first got on the ground, it was everything. It was cracked up to be. I was sort of like. The yellow wall was to my right, and the Newcastle fans were to my left at the other end of the ground. So, like each each end, obviously, couldn't hear the Newcastle fans. Just heard the yellow wall all the way through. Boss, oh, but I mean, result aside, it's you know, it must have been a hell of an experience. Oh yeah, it's a bucket list stadium, isn't it? Get to experience that and go and see your own team as a little Brucey bonus in the Champions League. I'm one of those Newcastle fans who doesn't expect anything from any Champions League game, so I was just there for the crack. Me, I'm glad I got mm. to see it. Never thought I'd get to see it two years ago. Well, yeah, because I think as soon as the draw was announced, you messaged me saying, I'm going to Dortmund. Whether I get a ticket to the game or not, I don't care. I'm going to Dortmund. And big up's the best tra- best travel, I think it was called. It's like an official Dortmund club thing, which we booked through, like is people from Newcastle with Newcastle postcodes and whatnot. We still got tickets via that way, and the home end got this this 90 euro RRP shirt as part of the deal. Got a, a, a prepaid cart using like the, the bars in the stadium for with 20 euros loaded on. Got a, a a prepaid card for the, the merch shop uh, with 10 euros load on, which I used to get horse on the back of my shirt. Up oh, the horse twaddle. Um, so I got horse nine on the back of my Dortmund shirt. What else did you get? You got a tour of the Dortmund, uh, the Dortmund Museum, obviously a match ticket. You got a night in a four-star hotel. So like an 18-minute walk away from the ho- uh, from the ground, there was a, a four-star hotel called the Drees. I forgot what the actual name is now because I spent the entire three days. Oh, let's go to the Drees Mertens. Drees Mertens, yeah. <laughs> so it's the Drees something. I can't remember what it was actually. But yeah, four-star hotel. Dressed to the nines it was. It was fantastic scenes. But yeah, all that was for like £250. Like a 90, a 90 euro shirt. Everything I've just mentioned there, 250 quid. Couldn't believe my eyes. 
I nearly swore then when you said 200. I thought you were going to say hundreds upon hundreds with you saying it was bucket list as well, but 250 quid. You can't say fair. Enough. Yeah, we were, we were pricing up tickets and all the, the dodgy websites, you know, the, your touters and whatnot. The sort of website mm. where you buy the ticket for like 250 euros, for example, is the one we saw. And then there's a 70 euro like charge on top of the 250 euros because these people are absolute bastards. We were on the brink of buying one of those tickets each in the yellow wall. <laughs> which would have been a very, very, very bad idea in hindsight. But then at the last second, my pal somehow came across this. It's 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 through an official like Borussia Dortmund club thing. So I went and booked that and it was yeah, it was unreal. I'm gonna sneeze. <laughs> Sorry. The sneeze of a horse there. Um I've I've never been to Germany to watch football. A couple of years ago I was seeing uh seeing a, a, a nice young woman who was um really into the kind of the grassroots side of football and how it can serve community. And she really wanted to um, to go over, but it, you know, it never happened, unfortunately. We said our farewells and we rode off into the night in separate directions. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, she was just like, she was like, oh, do you want to read me, me thesis on football? I was like, yeah. She's like, what have you written about? And she's like, oh, well, I'm from Burnley, uh, not Burnley. Um, where's, where's the good black pudding from? The good black pudding? Yeah. I've got no idea. <laughs> oh, my mind's just gone. Morrison's. It's, it's 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 that kind of uh with the sort of like that, that kind of All right. area. Um but she was also like really into um uh St. Pauli as well. So she was like, let's go to St. Pauli. He's like, Yeah, let's do that and then it never happened. So one day I will go to St. Pauli and I'll go to Dortmund and I'll go to I don't know, uh and Gladbach, they were my team as a kid. For reasons I can't tell you, but they just were. <laughs> Fair enough. One thing I was shocked about, because obviously I was there for the three day, like the day before kickoff, the match day itself, and the day after it as well, for like three quarters of the day. Dortmund has got nothing going on apart from mm. this, you know, world class football team. The second biggest tourist attraction on TripAdvisor, which we nearly went and did just for the the S's and the G's, the the, the poo words and the giggles, uh, was a steel factory. You could get a guided tour of a steel factory, go and watch some metal being made process and all kind of stuff that's the second biggest tourist attraction because i'm telling you if, if i don't know who organized it but i'm guessing you saw the footage of like the the market square in dortmund where they had like thousands of newcastle fans just drinking mm. and having a good time before the the, the 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 match itself if that wasn't happening there you're struggling on the monday night all the bars closed at 9 p.m wow. apart from a couple of dodgy ones down the back streets which we found one irish bar included which was called miners i think ERS, obviously. <laughs> Not, yeah. uh, but there was an Irish bar called Miners. We stayed up until two, so we had a great time in there. But yeah, shuts, shuts everywhere shuts at nine. Nothing going on. Steelworks is the, th- the second biggest tourist attraction after Borussia Dortmund Football Club. See, that was the kind of, that was the idea I had of Newcastle before I knew, moved there for <laughs> Industrial City. Everywhere closes at nine, apart from the, I'm the kid and I love Newcastle. Yeah, it's nice. But yeah, you might be thinking the game was a disappointment. I was absolutely arsed. I don't know if you saw the picture where I had six, you could buy six pints at once. So I was getting the pints in by the six with my prepaid card. It was absolutely fantastic. But as I say, life shortening because I assumed that the combination of beer and red meat and nothing else for three days isn't the best for you. No, uh, I've only been to Germany once and this was of all my naughty mates. And I, as a straight edge lad, spent the entire time eating kebab meat and burgers and I felt rough. <laughs> Never mind throwing whatever else you want on top of that. So 
Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're in one piece. Uh, and a top tip as well, if you do go to an event like that on the Market Square, and if you do drink the alcohol, don't go to the kiosks where they've got the pints. Like where they've, you know, It was wonderfully efficient, by the way. This isn't just a German stereotype, you know, oh, wonderful efficiency, no nonsense. I've never had a bar experience like it by going to the little places they had set up inside the Market Square. The pints were ready to go all the way through. We were there for like six or seven hours all the way through the day. The pints are ready to go. But there was two supermarkets around the corner that were selling crazy. Crates of 20 for no quid, quid, uh, crates of 24 for 20 euros a pop instead of paying six euros a pint. So the amount of crates on that square was biblical. <laughs> so there's a top tip go around the corner to a shop and get yourself a crate. It was only you know, get the proper plastic crates with the big, large bottles in them. Oh, it was Germans. I was saying that we were on a bus that had laminate flooring, just a public bus, but it had lovely, like grey slash beigey, like a beigey grey laminate flooring. It told you mm. when your stop was. Like there was a big screen at the front. There was a speaker on there. They do everything so much better than us over here. We work. The English are crap. Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And the trains are on time as well. Anyway, this is a football podcast. Clive over there in Liverpool. In Liverpool, what happened on this day in football history? Oh, let me tell you, Ross Tweddle, uh, on November the 15th, which is the day we're recording, double-checking, yes it is, uh, November the 15th, 1969, we had the first ever league game broadcast in colour in the UK. Ooh. And of course, Liverpool, we beat West Ham 2-0, so get that up, yeah. <laughs> do you reckon West Ham were playing in the home kit? Because I reckon, do these days the West Ham have to go in the away kit? Because if you squint really hard, the blood red of Liverpool is ever so slightly similar to the, the claret of West Ham. I want to say they would, yeah. Uh, off the top of my head, I can't I can't remember the, the old claret and blue ever um, turning up in Anfield. But yeah, but 2-0 in 1969, so yeah. Who scored? I didn't even check. <laughs> <laughs> Ron Yeats. Uh, <laughs> a routine win. Ian St. John. I'm trying to think of players oh, yeah. who might have played back then. That's a bit before Emlyn Hughes' time. Is it 69? No, em- Emlyn Hughes probably would have been involved, yeah. Ah, what, happened? what else happened? I'll Google it quickly. Well, in 1994, after four managers in as many years, Tottenham Hotspur realised that they needed the most powerful mullet in football steering them. And in came QPR's Jerry Francis as their new manager. <laughs> A man who kept that, he's still got the mullet today, hasn't he? It's it's even more fearsome now, if anything. Yeah. It's disgusting when he turns up on Sky Sports, isn't it? And he's just sat there with his bit spiky bit at the front and his party going on at the back, acting like there's nothing going on when he's just sat there exuding all kinds of kavorka that few men can ever exude. I bet, right, I bet his his collection of grumble and mucky films Oh, it must be breathtaking. <laughs> I've got the, the lineups and the scorers, by the way. Obviously, on the 15th on. of November 1969. Only 39,668 people at Anfield that day, that day, which is a bit of a disgrace, mm. in my opinion. Mm. Tommy Lawrence <laughs> was the goalkeeper, who I think mm-hmm. is the guy who went round on social media where the guy was like, yeah. oh, who are you? And he's like, oh, I used to play for Liverpool. I was in the FA Cup yep. final and whatever, yeah. Uh, so big up Tommy Lawrence. And then we had Chris Lawler, Tommy Smith, Ron Yeats mm-hmm. and Emlyn Hughes at the... Well, Emlyn Hughes is listed as defender slash midfielder. Obviously, this will be the ye olde formations. Ian Callahan, Peter Thompson, Steve Peplow uh, are your midfield. Uh, Bobby Graham, Ian St. John and Jeff Strong are your forwards there. Jeff Strong. <laughs> and the goals were scored by Bobby Graham and Chris Lawler. Okay, so it I, I was uh, nowhere near my Ron Yeats shout. <laughs> He was on the pitch, I guess. Uh, but Ray, yeah. Roger Hunt was on the bench for Liverpool as well. 
Strong team. Sir Roger. Yeah, yeah. Sir Roger. How old were he? Would he have, that'd be at the start of his career, would it have been, or would he? No, no, yeah. I think he was... The, I want to say Roger Hunt was the only Liverpool player involved in the 66 World Cup squad, ah. I want to say. What's he on the bench for, then? <laughs> well, he was, he was on the bench in the World Cup, wasn't he? Uh, here's where I'm completely wrong. But anyway, also on November the 15th in history, it's uh, we've got two birthdays today. It's the birthday of Andy Gray, Tekabu, and all that. Tiago just... Motter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a handsome! Uh, Tekabu. It's, Gu- it's Gustavo Poyet's uh, birthday as well. Oh, that prick. I hate him. 99 2000 season, FA Cup semi final, Newcastle versus Chelsea. He scores this header that nobody else could bloody score, but Gustavo Poyet always. I don't know if he always seemed to score against Newcastle or if I've just watched that season review VHS that many times that I always felt he scored against Newcastle, even though it was just one game. <laughs> I just see that header and Shea giving sort of clawing at the air and not getting near it. Oh, the heartbreaking scenes. Shea given, though, well player. Let's pick up Shea given while we're at it then. Let's take the focus off Gus Poyet. No, no, let's put the focus back on Gus Poyer and hope he has a terrible birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I saw a Chelsea tough. fan. I saw a Chelsea fan on social media today saying Judas because obviously he went to Spurs after his stint at Chelsea. So I'll go along with that. Up with the Chelsea fans there. Yeah, well, that, that is, will be probably the first and the last time in your life you'll say that. <laughs> is that it for on this day? I say that that's a that's a marked step up. Uh, a marked step up on what we've had in recent times on this segment. It's oh, but even then, I had to throw in two birthdays just to kind of round it out because there wasn't much else going on. <laughs> well, what a couple of birthdays away. Once again, Gus Poye, I hope you have a terrible day. Right, we go on to the Barclays, as we like to call it here. Well, because we're weird. Uh, the Premier League, that was game week 12, Chelsea 4, Manchester City 4. It was, it is, it always will be now, I think, a Barclays classic that certainly when I was watching it, I didn't want it to end. What Did you see the full game or was it a match of the day job for you? It was a match of the day job for me because I... Spent Saturday with the missus and then Saturday with the missus, Sunday's for the lead. No, <laughs> Sunday I had to do, you know, all pottering around and sorting out the house. So I watched the Liverpool game and then I thought, oh, City are going to walk this. And I was checking it on Twitter. And uh, at one point it was 4-3 to City and I didn't bother checking it. I thought, oh, that's that done and dusted then. But how wrong was I? And I watched the highlights and it looked like an like we say, prime Barclays, prime Barclays. It was a classic Barclays affair. Yes, there were the penalty for the opening goal, which is obviously scored by Haaland. There was a foul on Haaland from Kukurea that was given, but I would argue there was a foul by Haaland on Kukurea before Kukurea's foul on Haaland. Could it have been pulled back for a free kick, in your humble opinion? I think it could have, yeah, but yeah. who knows what the referees are doing these days, Ross. It's an unfortunate constant in life. It was very soft. By the letter of the law, you have to argue it's a penalty. But like you said, I would have pulled it back. So would I have. It felt a bit soft, but there we go. Because again, <laughs> it goes back to that one uh, between uh, Man United and Man City a couple of weeks ago. If that one's getting given, surely we're going to have multiple penalties per game for that same offence? Mm, exactly, yeah. Mm. It's it's like we always say, there's just no consistency at all. No. Uh, but of course, Erling Braut Harland notches because that's what he does. Then we have Thiago Silva with a lovely deft header across the face of goal to make it 1-1. He could only put it in one place and in that one place it went. How do you deflect things off a forehead with such precision? I don't know because whenever I head a ball, I end up getting a headache and it spings off me like a 50p. So 
It's it's almost like I'm not very good at football, and Thiago Silva is very, very good. He's not bad, is he? Even though he's 57 years of age. Still in the first half, Raheem Sterling makes a 2-1 to Chelsea. After what I've put down, I've got the book of cliches out, written by Clive F. I've called some pedestrian defending from Gavardiol, which allowed uh, Rhys James to tee up Raheem for a tap-in. It was a whirlwind first half. It was a basketball match of a game. It could have gone either way. And just to round off the happenings in the first half, Akanji with the header in first half, stoppage time to make it Desmond. What a time to concede. I think it was the 46th minute. Um, we had some wonderful play from Jeremy Doku, which sort of won the corner uh, from Cole Palmer, which was then whipped in and Akanji whipped... Uh, not whipped the header in, he boshed the header in, le boshed it. Um, but yeah, that was all in the first half. It was unbelievable. Yeah, especially with uh, Chelsea's attacking. I was, I was. This is going to sound weird coming from me. I was happy to see Sterling celebrate against City because even though the way he left Liverpool left a sour taste in our mouths. I don't like all this. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Unless it's a club icon scoring against his former team, just celebrate. Who cares? But it also showed what the thing is with City for years. Um, that Liverpool have, we, we've had a, a lot of success against them in recent seasons. If you go at City, you can get something. Yeah. Just go at them. The only thing is, if you score four, they'll probably also score at least four. But if you can go at them, just do it. That was a, you've just described the game at Newcastle. Obviously, it's a Newcastle fan. That's what's brought to mind. Our 3 3 draw at St. James's Park last season mm-hmm. where Trippier scored that free kick that game. We took the game to them and we led twice. I think, on the day. We definitely led once. <laughs> I can't remember now. Uh, I think it went 1-0 City, then 2-1 Newcastle, then 3-2 Newcastle, then 3-3. I think that's how it went. Um, but yeah, you do take the game to City, but that, the issue is you got to be also somehow while taking the game to them, not leave yourself open on the counter, which is impossible against them rascals. Yeah, it's, it's it, yeah, they're, they're quite good, aren't they, the arseholes? They are. Opening the second half, Erling Braut Haaland scores with his bollocks and or his arse. Uh, pretty much straight from the restart, as I said there. I was listening to the podcast that Mika Richards, Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer do uh, this morning. They're on the way to work and uh, Mika revealed they were still checking the goal for handball after the game had ended. Even though... Harlan makes contact with his bollocks and or his ass. Maybe his gooch, the spall between mm. the balls and the butthole. Um, and it's rolling in anyway, and it nearly touches his elbow, even though he's past the line, the ball's heading in, clearly. And they were still checking for that. If they disallowed that goal when that ball was clearly rolling in the net, never mind if it touches his hand on the line. If they disallowed that, that's the end. That's the end of football. Yeah, because I didn't see a problem with it. I've I've got it written down as I called it a scruffy goal, whereas you've put he scored with his balls. Um, <laughs> but it's it's one of those situations, isn't it? Like when they brought in the 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 terminology around the handball rule, where it was just like, is it in a natural position, etc. If you're flying at a ball at four hundred miles an hour with your balls. If it collides against your arm, I don't think you do that consciously, are you? No, and especially if you're in front of the ball and the ball is following you into the goal. Yeah. God. Basic physics. That's what these refs need. A lesson in basic physics for us. Basic physicnomics. Yes, I've written down there, uh, thank the Lord that is James Perch. It was allowed because that's how mm. holy I am. Then we have Miss Jackson. No, he didn't miss it. He scored his fourth goal in the week. Uh, Pounce the rebound from Edison after a save from a Gallagher. Drive! What a strike it was. It's as a fo- as an FPL player, it's horrible to see Jackson doing well. I had him in the team for the first few weeks of the season. He did next to sweet bugger all, and now he's scoring four goals in a matter of days. It's sickening. 
yeah, I think he scored in that opening game against against Liverpool and then did bugger all for a while. Um, yeah, it, it seems like, I was going to say, like he's come out of nowhere, but like you said, it, it was one of those that everyone had just given up on him and now he's gone, oh, I'm gone. Yeah. I can do this. Let me let me have a go. Horrible. Then we see Manchester City take the leaders. Jack and said he would assume for the fourth. Well, he this they scored the fourth goal first with uh, Rodri's d- sort of drive take the deflection of Thiago Silva into the far mm-hmm. bottom corner there. But then Ruben Diaz with all kinds of Marcus Rashford about his Kvoka when he rashly brought down uh, Broja in the box. I saw a lot of people online. Of course, there were all Manchester City people saying, "Oh, he got the ball first. He got the ball first, But then he. He took the man. He can't lunge in like that and not expect to give away a penalty. Yeah, I didn't have any issues with it at all. Um, again, if, if we need to kind of always remind ourselves about the current laws of the game and not going back to the glory days, because we just sound like our uncles did in the 90s when they're just like, oh, you call that a yellow card in the 70s? That would have been, you know, a rub on the head and get off the pitch kind of thing. Um, you can't dive in like that anymore at all. Um, there was no no issue for me when I watched it. I didn't think, oh, let's see what the refs say. Let's see how this goes. It was a penalty. Yeah. If you're looking at percentages, I don't know why I'm looking at percentages now. He's taken 110% of the man and maybe 40% of the ball. And I reckon that, you know, that's what teeters over the edge there in the favour of the penalty. I like that. You were like a young Carol Vorderman. Thank you very much. The same tits I have as well. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> That's what many people say about me. He's got the tits of a vorderman. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Cole Palmer steps up, who, by the way, I thought he looked the dog's bollocks on the day. Obviously, big Garth Southgate thinks the same because he's called him up to the England squad to replace a couple of players who have dropped out this week. Uh, he scored a consummate penalty I've written down here. He's twat at the top corner, Vavavoom. Yeah, I I was surprised when City uh, let him go. Well, and then when Chelsea came in for him, as well, I was like, that just seemed like an odd move, and it's already paying off for Chelsea because he's, well, he's, he's found himself a, a space in the squad and a space in the starting eleven most most of the time. And again, like Raheem Sterling, he celebrated when he scored. Good lad. Good lad. And I've also Good got lad. to say, there's nothing in Kovacic celebrating that penalty. I saw a lot of people going, "Oh, he gave a little fist pump." He didn't. He turned around. He plays for somebody else now. Get over it. Yeah, it's not a fist pump going, oh, yay, I Chelsea till I die. He was just more like, oh, bastard, I think. They go, oh, Drat. rats. <laughs> we'll get them next time. I But on Cole Palmer, I remember just thinking, four, I think it's 42 million or something like that, Chelsea paid for him. And at the time, you're thinking, yes, he scored that goal in the Super Cup, I think it was, where he did the mm. old bender from a distance. Um, but you're thinking, surely what's, what's, what's like warranting that sort of money being paid for Cole Palmer? But already, Will Potch is playing him sort of as that calm, come centre midfielder come striker that wonderful position we all know um, <laughs> the way he's used him like that he just he looks like he belongs and yeah it's it's nice to see because I, I don't know why it's nice to see he just seems like a, a humble lad <laughs> yeah and it's I think he's going to become the poster boy for this this kind of youth wave that Chelsea are on at the moment but if they can get like a proper spine behind them they could have the makings of a team yet Ross they could but Poch is slowly turning it around, I think. So obviously, I think they had their worst start ever in Premier mm. League history, which obviously a lot of headlines were getting written about. But off the back of last season, was it a little bit expected? Off the back of last season, then the turnaround of players, then the new manager, then the start of the season. Was it a little bit expected? Maybe. But yeah, he's turning it around now because he's been given time. Graham Potter's in tatters. Well, we, we've been saying that since the start of the league, haven't we? Uh, just 
if you give him time, he'll turn it around because he is he is a good manager at the end of the day. He is. But Manchester Imagine if I was going to say, imagine if Abramovich was still there, they would have had six margins by now. More on him, the dirty bugger. More on him later. But yeah, it's just horrible. If you're a Chelsea fan, you've obviously had the game of your life there against Manchester City and you still couldn't beat the bastards. That's the sickening thing about the league this season because it does feel wide open, but it also doesn't feel like Manchester City have hit their stride yet, yet they're still top of the table. Only by a point. <laughs> but they're still top of the table, and they're not. Pl- yeah. I say they're not playing that well. You know what I'm trying to say there. They're not hitting the dizzying heights of what we've seen in the past. That's typical Man City for you, though, isn't it? They give you that. They give you that glimmer of hope, and then they put the afterburners on. That was very partridge of me, but I'm sticking <laughs> with it. Put the afterburners on. Uh, Wolves two, Spurs one. Spurs took an early lead in this game through Brennan Johnson, and everything looked hunky dory for Tottenham Hotspur, despite what happened on Monday night against Chelsea, despite the injuries to Jimmy Madison and Van der Ven at the back, despite the suspension to you, Doggy at fullback. It was all doing. It was just they were stroking the ball back like there was not nothing the matter it was a lovely start there for big angels men uh, and then all of a sudden you go to uh, stoppage time there we had Sarabia hitting that 91st minute minute uh, like 91st minute equaliser that's how words work Ross like I've written down here prime Collins John at the Riverside Ooh. in 05-06 <laughs> you know the goal I'm talking about don't you throw in chest yeah. kabang the ball doesn't hit the deck <laughs> I was not expecting a Collins John on shell today um i've got here that i think that's going to be in the goal of the season conversation come at the end of the year it was sublime um tottenham looked knackered yeah like you said ravaged squad um, not quite and, ravaged you're speaking to a newcastle fan by the way well that's true <laughs> but and again with the case of newcastle it's it's it, here we go for the cliche the cliche books open these days, football, it's not just a team game. It's a full squad game, isn't it, Ross? Yes, it most certainly is there, Jack Atkins. Yeah, but uh, I thought, apart from the opening goal where Wolves looked just like open at the back, they deserved the three points. Everything I saw of this, they were just on the front foot every time. Spurs didn't look like they knew what to do at times. And like you're saying, that, um, that first goal was absolutely beautiful. It's just a shame the way the first goal came about because Eric Dyer, off the back of that little social media thing where he's walking past the social media guy going, oh, you're not going to use this one, are you? Because I'm rubbish. I'm Eric Dyer. He kicked the ball. It was a wayward pass straight out of play, which set up the throw and which then set up the through ball to Sarabia, who then did his best Collins John impersonation, not letting the ball hit the floor but while putting it in the back of the net. Why did it have to happen to Eric Dyer? The game was going so well. As I said, I thought Spurs started off very much on top but then as the game went on and on and on I don't know why I've compared it to when uh, Nigel Pearson was attacked by a pack of wolves but instead of Nigel Pearson (laughs) coming out on top in this instance the wolves came out on top and Nigel Pearson perished yeah I I love that story about Nigel Pearson I remember us having a conversation in the office about who the hardest manager was and I think I just kept going back to Nigel Pearson saying yeah the man literally fought actual wolves (laughs) You can give me Sean Dyche drinking gravy for breakfast and Big Sam Allardyce drinking paint thinner. Nigel Pearson fought Wolves and won. <laughs> Which Spurs did not do because Mario Lamina helped the ball on its way from a lovely through ball from whoever it was. I can't remember what it was there. To give Wolves on the balance of play at the end of 90 minutes, other cliches included, a fully deserved victory for me, Jeffrey. Oh, definitely. Uh, also, Jeffrey, I remember 
I'm surprised at how kind of Wolves have turned it around because I think I predicted that the four scrapping it out for relegation that I thought was going to be, I think I said Sheffield, Luton, Forest, and Wolves. And Wolves had a bit of a figure dodgy start, but recently they've been looking like the the, the starting to gel again. And if they again, if they continue like this, the sky's the limit. But I I, I don't feel. I don't feel scared for Wolves anymore, if you know what I mean. Yeah. To open the book of cliches once more, it looks like they're making Molyneux a bit of a fortress. Uh, because you think about the win against Manchester City, Newcastle somehow left there with a point, even though they didn't quite deserve it towards the end of the game. They've beaten Spurs now as well. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's more impressive results in there as well. I just can't think off the top of my head. But yeah, it just feels like them appointing Gary O'Neill and the way Lopetegui left three days, I think it was, before the season. It was going to take a bit of time, and it has taken a bit of time, but they are doing well. Yeah, very well. And um, Cunha at the top of the pitch, by the way. Ooh. Ooh. He's not a conventional... <laughs> cliches. He's not a conventional centre-forward, but I, he's a bit of me, let me tell you. He's a bit of me. <laughs> he's a bit of horse all over that pitch. <laughs> Hung like you, one, you, who knows? You were saying, though, that uh, they, they've, t- they've turned the Molyneux into a, uh, a fortress. We want to talk about fortresses in the Midlands, Ross. What? That was a that was a segue to your next piece, is it? Oh, Aston Villa three, Fulham one. Well, hey, come on now. Thank you very much. I I have my moments. <laughs> Sometimes I'm good at this. <laughs> he says fortress because now Aston Villa have won thirteen games on the spin at Villa Park. They have scored twenty three goals in their last six home games. Now I think the minimum they've scored in the last six home games is at least three goals a game which is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff. I'm quite jealous of them. Anyway, they find themselves now just one point behind Spurs in fifth. Yes, Spurs dropped a fourth with their two defeats very recently, which is still, by the way, it's it's still unbelievable, that. Let's not get away from the fact. They're still, I think it's two points off the top of the table, potentially. I think, yeah, two points off the top. Imagine saying, heading into December, basically, which we are now after the international break, that Spurs will be two points off the top. Yeah, I mean... We we said uh, at length about how well Ange has done transforming spares, and obviously there was my very non-committal answer the other week when you were just like, "Could they win the league?" And I was like, "Well, they could, but they couldn't." <laughs> um, I still think they'll be in the conversation for top four at least. I do think, like you're saying, the the, the squad as a whole is lacking, and they've had a couple of duff performances on the spin now. But even then, it's still a hell of a star for them. Yeah. Don't know what that yeah, was, Villa. right? Aston Villa 3, full and 1, as I said there. Villa doing very well at home. The link-up play that Aston Villa were playing here through the likes of Diaby, Douglas, Louise in midfield and Ollie Watkins up top, up, up top sometimes was quite scintillating. When do you ever hear the word scintillating other than professional football? Uh, when tucking into a lovely pork chop. <laughs> How on earth do you tackle a pork chop in a scintillating matter? Um, or manner, I should say. Just get a tender, a little bit of apple sauce, some kind of nice, maybe a dolphin wire potato on the side, who knows, and some, some grilled greens. Oh, scintillating. My God, <laughs> right. Anthony Robertson, he's not scintillating. Uh, he had an own goal for the opening uh, for the opener for Aston Villa after a cross from Yuri Tielemans, who seems to be pulling it round after not being picked at the start of the season. Heartbreakingly so, after the game on social media, Anthony Robertson liked a tweet, which uh, <laughs> was taking the form of a chant, which goes as, he can't defend, he can't attack. Anthony Robinson, our fullback. 
I don't know why I said it like that. That's just not the right tune, is it? Can't defend, can't attack. Anthony Robinson, our fullback. I guess that's how it goes, yes. Yeah, I felt really bad for him. He had an absolute stinker of an afternoon, didn't he? Yes, he did. Someone who didn't have a stinker, though, was Big John McGinn, who is neither big nor... He's just not big, is he? He's just a medium-sized John. Medium-sized John <laughs> scores a lovely goal from the edge of the area, sort of a bender that was in the centre of goal, like where he hit it from, so it was bending away from the goalkeeper. Lovely shape on the shot, and a lovely celebration to boot. I was thinking, wow, he's a massive fan of John Joe Shelby. That's the celebration <laughs> John Joe used to do back in the day. Oh, my God. Do you see he scored from the halfway line at the weekend, by the way, in Turkey? No. John Joe Shelby has tried... Obteen times since that goal he scored against Aston Villa for Swansea. Do you remember when Brad Guzan was in Nets and he made a right mess of it? He's tried mm. umpteen times. However many number that is, I'm not entirely sure, but it's umpteen to score from the halfway line or just inside the opponent's half. I don't know who he plays for in Turkey now, but he did it at the weekend and it was picture perfect. It was Beckham at Wimbledon, that sort of halfway it- line goal. He, he did something similar for in like one of his, I want to say one of his last games for Liverpool against Chelsea, and we battered them, and he scored an absolute perler. But it just, you could tell it every time it's one of those. As soon as you hit it, he's seeing the headlines in the Z, isn't he? Yeah, by doing that. He loves that celebration, doesn't he? Which is what John McGinn did here, which it wasn't a tribute for John Joe Shelby, scorer of halfway line goals. It was a nice little nod to his uh, his little cousin, or oh, sorry, nephew Jack, who was forced to wear eye protectors when he plays football due to his poor eyesight. He's a bit of an Edgar Davids. What? John McGinn's nephew, Jack? <laughs> Jack McGinn, Edgar <laughs> Davids, it's the same thing. <laughs> but then Watkins makes it three on the counter. I think John McGinn did really, really well once again. He was surrounded by defenders, but he does this lovely little spin like he's he's he's, mm. he's, he's Torval McGinn. <laughs> you say that, though. I was watching this thinking, like, because I like John McGinn's a class player, but... He's a man out of time. I think that's why a lot of us like him, because you hear the name John McGinn. You look at John McGinn. You look at the style of play of John McGinn. You think, oh, yeah, I remember when he made his debut in 1995. This was the (laughs) slowest spin and attack I've ever seen. But it was it worked. So you can't you can't knock it at all. It was a wonderful little setup. He then teed teed up Bailey, who then put it across the goal for Watkins to tap it in. Then there was a nice moment. I thought the game was gone for Fulham, but Raul Jimenez gets his first goal in 33 games since March 2022, which is obviously a nice thing to see after all he's been through with his head and whatnot. And to get because it, it felt like it was never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was nice to see. Uh, it was a good goal, and like you said as well, I, I think it was it was Anthony Robinson who who got the assist as well. So at I least so, he put yeah. a bit of a bit of glory back on his name, but. We're, we're old softies at heart, Ross. We like seeing things like this, don't we? Yeah, it was nice. I, I like Raul. Well, yeah, I like Raul Jimenez as a player. Just it was. It felt like is oh is he can he still do it after? I mean, because can he still do it after that sort of thing? The the doubt and like the the the, the trepidation that must be through your head whenever you go near anybody after going through something like that must be off the scale when you've you actually playing a Premier League game. Oh yeah, because the the second you start second guessing yourself at that level, you're usually done, aren't you? So. Yeah. But let's let's you know let's hope it continues. Way I I like Raúl Jiménez. Fulham now just find themselves six points above the relegation zones uh, as they lost uh, consecutive games for the first time this season. It, feel, it feels like they're not getting quite good this season. Fulham compared to last season. No, I think they've they've had a, a couple of lucky results as well. I, again, I, I think back to the the opening weekend against Everton was the second weekend with the other draw and that was only because Everton couldn't finish the dinner um, I honestly expected more of Fulham this season again where there's so much more football to be played 
But six six points above the relegation zone is not where I was expecting them to be. No, they miss Mitrovic, sure they do. Who doesn't mm. miss Mitrovic? It's a team that he never played for, so why would they? It's Everton. The Ev have got no money, but they're all on the beak. They're flying up the table. They're at the 14th now and have won three of the last six and more crucially, have lost just once of their last six because they went to Crystal Palace and they won 2-3, as Jim White likes to say, annoyingly on the radio. Just say 3-2, just say three, two, Jim. Um, uh, <laughs> that, that fullback lad, I always mess up the pronunciation of his name. Name. Go on, give it a go. Why don't you? Well, Mikolenko. Mikolenko, that's his name. He scores the opener a few minutes into the game with a bullet header. Cliché once again from six yards out. Then we had Eze taking the piss with, the cliché book once again, a jinking run that jowls, draws a foul and then there's a pen which he took, which he then took a piss. He took the piss with once again, uh, just leaving Jordan Pickford in the mud as he stroked it in the bottom corner. Yeah, they're, they're usually the type of penalties where I'm just praying that the penalty taker misses it because you're just like, ah, don't don't be a tit with it. But yeah, it was it was cool as you like, wasn't it? Yeah, it's another frustrating one for me because Eze was in the fantasy team for the first couple of months of the season. He didn't do too many points, but now in this game, he's taken all kinds of pisses, even out the referee because there was another jinking round soon after, which was a shame to see him clearly dive from. He was called out for it. He was given a free kick in the direction instead of being awarded a penalty. He's better than that. He doesn't need to do that. Sort it out, Mr. Eze, because I can't pronounce your first name because I'm an idiot. It reminds me of uh, Andy Carroll against Newcastle, but obviously... Oh, much- it wasn't as bad as that. I was going to say, a much better player, though, where the easier thing was to have a shot on target than go flying down in the box. <laughs> now we have Big Decore making a 2-1 with a nice little tap and after a wonderfully controlled volley from Mr. Mikolenko, which hit the beans on toast. I guess it was deserved. It looks like they're doing all right now, Everton, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it's it's the start of the season. They just needed someone who could put it in the back of the net. There's a cliche for you. And obviously when Calvert-Lewin came back, it kind of galvanised them a little bit. Um, during the week, to give a, a little sausage, a little sausage into my life, a little peek at how the sausage is made in my life. Um, I've got studio space where I work in town sometimes just to get me out of the house. I, one of the lads in there is an Everton fan. And I've said to him, it was just like, all they needed was a goal scorer and they'll be all right. And I think they'll be all right. Um, like you said, was it three and six? Three, yeah, wins, three and six? wins and six. Lost just once. I, I think if you would have asked any Everton fan at the beginning of the season for that kind of form, they'd bite your hand off. Even if they get 12 points deducted by that, still hanging over their heads, do you reckon they'll still be safe if they get 12 points off? Oh. Yes, only because I have no hope for Sheffield United or Luton. Or Luton, Rain. Yeah. Or the other two. Or the Burnley. Other yeah, Burnley. Burnley, yeah. The one. Burnley are bottom now, aren't they? Shocking. That, it was Berry I was thinking of before where Black Puddin's <laughs> from. No doubt the comments are already there taking the piss out. You're not doing the Black Puddin is from Berry. <laughs> Up the Black Puddin. Anyway, Edward, I should say, was on the brink of being taken off, but after a header was looped back into the middle, Tarkowski leaves it for Pickford. Pickford isn't there, and Edward scoops it into the net past the advancing Pickford. I don't know why I've oh, yeah, yeah. like that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> caught me off guard there. Um, again, he, he caught them napping, didn't he, Ross? Caught they them really napping. did. Static 
defending. Uh, Idrissa Gay then pops up with the winner with a lovely finish on the slide, kind of. He was on the run, then sliding at the same time after being slipped in again. A wonderful ball from Decore. Didn't expect the ball from Decore or the finish from Idrissa Garner Gay. They, they, they can't do this sort of thing, these players, but they, they, they did it there. <laughs> I know Decore's been slagged off quite a lot, but I, I like him and he's, he's definitely finding, if not form, he's finding confidence. Like we're saying, as long as you've got confidence on your side, an average player could look far better than they are. Not to say that Decor is average, but something's working at everything at the moment. So if they can just keep that self-belief for us, I can't I can't see them falling off a cliff anytime soon. You know what it is, though? It's the breakfast of gravel with gravy on top. Gravel, gravy, Shondash. I love it. Kasabian, yeah. That's Sean Dyson in that cell. Right elsewhere. Kasabian. Kasabian. <laughs> he loves Kasabian, Sean Dyson, doesn't he? I, I go, to, I go I... to music festivals. I'm from Kettering. I love music. He was at Glastonbury, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. So was Carragher, but I think Carragher was in different tents. I don't know what gave me that oh. impression. <laughs> yeah, Carragher was definitely in some kind of deep house tent at 4 a.m. <laughs> off his bunce. Who else was off the bunce was the entire Newcastle United squad uh, because they didn't start the game at all at Bournemouth mm. and they went down 2-0. I know there's a lot to be said about playing away in the Champions League in Germany and then having to come back to Newcastle and then having to go all the way to the other end of the country to play against Bournemouth in a matter of days. But still, the players that are on that pitch for me should have done a little bit better. But then again, we did have no less than 12 first-team players missing from this game. Not only because of injury, but also Bruno Gimaraes was suspended from the game as well. But the players on the pitch, I feel so bad for them because they're, they're a lot better than what they showed there. But the I think it was the circumstances rather than Bournemouth being excellent. I thought Bournemouth were all right. But I think if Newcastle were yeah. just anywhere near the normal levels, they might have got to point out the game. Because, uh, but it's not as if Bournemoth carved open lots of opportunities. Yes, Nick Pope made a fair few saves, but it was largely from sort of pot shots from distance. It wasn't like Bournemouth were cutting open Newcastle at whim. Um, but yeah, it was just it was a bit sad to watch. It was like it was like watching Steve Bruce's Newcastle again, but with a reason for it this time instead of it just being Steve Bruce's Newcastle, like a sad old Labrador. Yeah. Just a t- but yeah, I was gonna say go back to to Pope. I thought Pope had an excellent game, but like you said, it's not like it's not like Bournemouth were just absolutely peppering shots all over the place. But yeah, and and I'm surprised at how Dominic Solanke's cut one as well because when we sold him, we thought we pulled pulled the pants down. And after a couple of years of being, uh, he's has he got? Uh, he must have at least four or five in 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 the league this season. I already. think it's seven. Really? Yeah. I well, think- there you go. Yeah. He's doing all right, isn't he? That second finish, mm. instinct, striker's finish, cliche book. Strike. So, obviously, like you said, you got injuries and suspensions, but what would you be looking to do in the transfer market in January? Centre-back is a priority, I'd say. Striker mm. is a priority, I'd say. Potentially a winger as well, and I think we'll be all right. But again, it's just... The- I get the feel. I don't know. I've not seen this said by any of the Newcastle fan. I've not said, seen this said by any journalist who might know better than me because I've got no ties to the club whatsoever. Kel surprise, I know. But it feels like to me, Eddie Howe is a manager who demands, or a head coach, who demands like 110% every minute of every day where you're near him. Maybe, yeah. just maybe, expect 50%. For a bit of the time, just to because it gets it, it feels like to me there's that many injuries and there's that many long term injuries like muscular injuries and stuff like that. 
is he working the players too hard on top of a schedule that's like twice as busy as last season as well? It gets it, it feels like me that might be the case. As long as you don't start slagging him if he starts moaning about fixtures, because what you've just well, no, what there, he, do, he doesn't do that though. Been, he doesn't like do that. Jürgen Klopp's Liverpool, we go at 100 miles an hour, we get lots of injuries. And that's the thing, though, isn't it? If you are going to go at 100% at all time, you have to expect injuries. So I don't know whether it's a case of just getting a better scouting team to find lads who are not saying that yours are made of crisps, but with a well, bit some more. Some of them are. <laughs> yeah, a bit more steel behind them, but. I don't know. It's 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 not a bad thing to want your team to go 100% all the time, but like you said, it's just not wholly realistic, is it? But you get, you get certain top teams, you know, Manchester City is the prime example where they always seem to have 80% of their first team squad available at all times. And that's got to be something down to the way Pep, Pep Guardiola runs the ship in between the games. And I get the feeling the way that, I think, I guess Klopp sort of falls into this anyhow category as well. The way we both press high up the pitch and that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. it's always like, you know, energy, energy, energy. Is there not a different way to a, a, like attack the schedule, so to speak, without moaning at the schedule? Because Manchester City always survive. Why can't we? I do think a lot of it is luck as well. As stupid and annoying as that is, Again, open the cliche book, one that we like here. You have to ride your luck. And City, you can get lucky with injuries coming at the right time or whatever, or suspensions coming at the right time. Um, what kind of um, squads has he been playing in the domestic cups? What he's got How? available. It's literally, really? it's yeah. been, for the last month or so, it's been what he's had available. And it's like, for example, at Man United away, he left Almiron on the bench. Mighty Target got injured within five minutes. Almiron had to come on. Almiron at Bournemouth, he's now injured. So he's, he's mm-hmm. having to just play whoever he can play. Like we had three goalkeepers on the bench, I think, in Dortmund. I can't quite remember because I was battered, but I think we had three goalkeepers on the bench in Dortmund. Obviously, Lewis Miley, who was a 17-year-old kid, he's now our youngest like appearance maker in the in European football. He's There's a lot of high hopes for him. He seems like a bit of a Michael Carrick, the way he plays the game, like centre midfielder passing the ball about this, that and the other, but he's having to be thrown in there, even though he had like, he was out with glandular fever, like for a couple of months at the start of the season there. So just, again, you do mention luck there, it feels like Newcastle have no luck, but I go back to, just the way, again, I've got nothing to base this off of, other than what you you know of Eddie Howe, and how he does his work and whatnot. Maybe just, you know, take the, take the it doesn't have to be 100% all the time, just, you know, wrap them up a bit in cotton wool. These bloody perfectionists, what are they like, Ross? I know, give them a hot bath, a hot chocolate, a nice little massage. Wow. Well, that sounds lovely, actually. I'll, yeah. see, you, I'll see you in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but, of course, after the game, the game was bad enough, but then there was some whoppers in the end who were having a go at Kieran Trippier, who, on one hand, I thought he was fantastic for showing he cares. He was fully justified saying all the lads out there are giving what they can do, which I think they did. I was, again... I felt a bit weird earlier because I realised when I was saying it, I don't mean like I expected Newcastle to do better away at Bournemouth, but I also expected a little bit more from the performance. Does that make any sense? Because they were, it was yeah. clear how tight, like Wolves away recently, we were done after an hour. We just hung on for a point in the end. Bournemouth here at the weekend, we were knackered after 10 minutes. <laughs> it felt like it was just hanging on for dear life. So they are giving what they can. It just feels like, you know, the in certain areas we might have a bit of you know a bit of better quality than Bournemouth and we could give a bit more in terms of sheer quality as Rafa Benitez used to say back in the day I don't know do you think you need more more leaders in the dressing room then to just kind of 
Whiffman to shape on the pitch. I'm making a right pig's ear of explaining what I mean, I think. I'm listening back to what I'm saying. It's not making sense at all because I'm having a go at this fan for having a go at Trippier. Then I'm sort of saying the same thing as the fan. I'm, I'm fully on Kieran Trippier's side here. There's a lot of mm. like circumstances that mean Newcastle can't be what they want to be at this current moment in time. And it's a big worry for me that there's fans like this guy in the away end who are quickly taking this all for granted. What's happened to the club over the past couple of years? Like a couple of years ago, we're watching Steve Bruce ball, you know, 10 men behind the ball and Alan St. Maximan or Callum Wilson at the end of the pitch. Oh, just kick the ball to him. It'll be fine. And now we're smashing PSG in the Champions League and like quite, you know, for a long period of time, stayed in the games against Dortmund and Milan. We've got League Cup final, we've got European qualification. We're challenging for that again, which I think is, when you look at the injuries and the start we had in terms of playing, you know, Liverpool and Manchester City and whoever else, Aston Villa in the first month of the season, I think we're doing, we're batting above our average again with the squad we have available. Yeah, it's 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 a process, isn't it? It's a building process. Uh, any kind of, to use the term, project, it's going to take a good couple of seasons before it's hitting those high notes. And like you said, battering PSG in the Champions League, League Cup final. What? How long's Eddie Howe been in the role? A, 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 one and a half seasons before this season. Two years and a week, actually. Yeah. So that's no time at all, really. So uh, the, the, there's being miffed at losing a game and there's being a myth that them absolutely thrown in the towel there's definitely two different there's a difference between it but you've hit the nail on the head there there is a difference between being sad at the result and then having a like verbally abusing the players there's a there's a Mm. big difference isn't there one gives off a certain sort of expectation and the other gives off something very different like you are taking Mm. everything that's happened to the club over the past two years for granted and i hope that's not the case for a majority of newcastle fans because it's not for me i must be the only newcastle fan in the world who's going in every single champions league game thinking we're gonna get battered here I don't care. We're not supposed to be in the Champions League yet. That's two or three years down the line, this. We've still got Sean Longstaff in midfield, for goodness sake. <laughs> Jamal Lascelles was there. No, 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 no. Horses on the piss, on the piss. Jamal Lascelles on the piss. I was watching Jamal Lascelles batter Kylian Mbappe the other week and I couldn't believe my eyes. <laughs> We're still ahead of time. But yeah, it was, it was just a disappointing day. It was just, I guess you would come to expect it at the end of the day. Everything that had gone on, all the injuries, as I said, 12 first-team players were missing for various reasons. The travel, it was just a bit disappointing that we didn't really have a clear, like, a proper clear-cut chance on the day. <laughs> I guess that's all and I'm saying. <laughs> the, the old cliche as well, I think the international break has come at the, not the perfect time for you, but I bet you, you're made up for it as a Newcastle fan. Well, but, well, I say that. We've had Bruno, obviously, is available from suspension again, but he's now gone off the paper of Brazil. Joe Linton's gone to Brazil. Mm. Thankfully, like Callum Wilson's pulled out the England squad and a couple of other players have had to pull out their international teams. But all the injuries are long-term, all of them. There's not like, I think we're only expecting Isaac back. Which I know is like a only Isaac, but you know, there's only one of them of the 11 who weren't yeah. like suspended. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. I just hope it's not a case of how working them too hard in between a really hard schedule. But that's not me having a go at the schedule. That's me potentially having a go at Eddie Howe's Kavorka, his chutzpah. I'm not Jurgen Klopp. Be better, Jurgen Klopp, you sour cat. Sour cat? <laughs> I don't know that's, that's almost problematic, Ross. Moving uh, on. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking of a random animal. Oh, my God. 
Oh, I'll be fine. Uh, right, he's just been a big old sourpuss. I think that's where it came from. Big old sourpuss. Yeah. There you go, yeah. Oh, bollocks, right. Other football headlines. Emma Hayes is being confirmed as the head coach of the United States women's national team. The 47-year-old will remain in Chelsea until the end of the season before taking up the new role. She replaces Vlatko Adonvinsky. Ad- Adnovsky. I can't read. I've not got my glasses on. Who left the role as the United States national team's boss at the aftermath of a poor 2023 Women's World Cup. Che- uh, Hayes has been in charge of Chelsea since 2012 and has enjoyed a lot of success. They've won six WSL titles under her management, including the last four in a row. They've won the FA Cup five times. She's uh, the, the best women's coach in the FIFA Awards in 2021. Uh, she's in the WSL Hall of Fame. She's an unbelievable pundit. She's an OBE. I thought, honestly, of every... You know, you always hear when a certain job's come up, Women are sort of touted around, oh, should they do this and should they be progressive and all that sort of stuff. I always thought she would be the one to make the jump first and foremost because merely off what she's done in the game, in the women's game, off the back of punditry as well, she knows what she's doing. She's she's a fantastic woman. I wish Emma Hayes would manage Newcastle one day. But is it is it a question of, a slightly sexist question of Kavork or is that what you think stopping people going in for, a team's going in for like an Emma Hayes or something like that? Of course it is, isn't it? We all know why, what's stopping mm. them. We all know what's stopping yeah. them. But she, I think she'd be she'd be the one eventually. Well, I thought she was either destined for the men's game or destined to be the next England manager. But no, she's got what I think is, I think it probably is the biggest job in women's football, uh, the United oh, States yeah. national team. I saw her wage banded about as well, which seems like she's on the big bucks there. So congratulations for that as well. It's fully deserved. I hope she can do a bit of punditry. Really enjoy listening to her talk. Yeah. Well, it, it depends what the schedule's like for the, was it USWNT? USWNT? Yes. Yeah. Because... Um, I've been in America for a Women's World Cup before and they do take it very seriously. Uh, to our American friends out there, I want to hope that it is for a progressive love of the women's game and not just because you know you can win um, because that's what it seemed to be at the time. It's like, oh, we can win this. We can't win the men's one. They're crap, so we don't like them, but we can win the women's one. Um, but I agree with you. It's the biggest job in the women's game. Um, like you're saying, the turnaround of Chelsea, because for years it seemed it was... The women's league would be between Arsenal and maybe Everton. And, and then obviously when City got money, City started coming up for it. But like you said, was it the, the four on the spin for Chelsea? Something Superb. like that, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. What a woman. But anyway, she's going to see United States dominate the world of football now. Yeah. Without Megan Rapinoe, though, that was quite funny, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. But when, when I remember Rapinoe getting the Ballon d'Or the other year, and I was like, hmm, really? And that's another reason why I don't put any stock in the Ballon d'Or, because it should go to the best player and not the most famous player. <laughs> but also at the award ceremony as well, when she signed that little lad's ball, she didn't, oh, once, didn't once look at him yeah. in the eye, even acknowledge him. She's a she's an arsehole. There's, yeah, I'm not not a fan. You know, there's certain people like, you know, Zlatan, I think, would be the male equivalent. Would it be in terms of sheer Kavorka? But I'm sure he would still look at the lad in the eye and go, yeah, how are you doing, pal? Yeah, it's, it's I I again talking about us being big softies. Love watching like compilations and stuff like that, where you just see like a mascot looking at like I don't know Roberto Carlos or Zidane or something. And Zidane just gives them a little rub on the head, and they're just like, "Oh, thank you." Or like uh, Usain Bolt used to do it at the Olympics, didn't he? Whoever was just kind of there looking after him, he'd give him a little fist bump, and they'd just have a big grin on the face. 
It doesn't take anything. He just couple that though from her, and then her work. It was one of her last games. I don't know if it was her last international appearance where she walked in with the the beatbox, the boombox blaring of her own mm. theme song or something like that, and they're walking through. It was just like, come on now, pal, give your head a wobble. You're not all that. Mm. <laughs> a very good player, but even the best player in that team. Give me, give me Beth Mead over her every single day of the week. Anyway, Chelsea, <laughs> the men's team now, face fresh questions over how its former owner, Roman Abramovich, funded the club's success after leaked files revealed a string of secret payments that may have breached strict football rules, including those on, of course, financial fair play. Experts say the transactions uncovered through a joint investigation by The Guardian and international partners could lead to the Premier League imposing a punishment on Chelsea, such as a deduction of points. The file reveals a series of payments worth tens of millions of pounds over a decade rooted through offshore ve- offshore vehicles belonging to Abramovich. The transactions in question appear to have been uh, for Chelsea's benefit, raising questions about whether they were declared in accounts submitted to the football's governing bodies. Uh, beneficiaries appear to include uh, the agent of former star player Eden Hazard, an associate of the title-winning manager Antonio Conte and Chelsea FC officials. Other payments to... Oh God, it's never ending this. Other payments appear to have been connected to the purchase of players like Willian and Samuel Eto. The payments have come to life thanks to an international investigation known as Cyprus Confidential, which needs to be a TV show now. Welcome to Cyprus Con- uh, Confidential. Uh, a cachet of 3.6 million offshore records leaked to the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists, the ICIJ, and Germany's paper Trial Media, which shared access with The Guardian, the Bureau of Investigating Journalism, and other media. So the question needs to be asked, Joe Atkins, what is the suitable penalty for a club that may have just cheated its way to all of its success over the past 20 years? Um... <laughs> This is the I'm going to feel a bit sorry for Todd Bowley because he's going to be the one who has to deal with all the the fallout from it and not Abramovich. But I are you surprised at these findings? Um, is yes, I am. Be, How could you get away with this for twenty years? Because there, unfortunately, as kind of Everton might find out, because currently Chelsea are a bigger team, um, which holds too much sweat, which is unfortunate. I mean, I know the Italian league is still corrupt as bollocks, but they had no qualms um, sending Juventus all the way down and stripping them of titles and stuff like that. That has to be the root and the cause, but there'll be too many purists in this country who are just like, oh, if you do that, the game's gone. It's like the game's been gone for years anyway, especially if you can spend tens of millions of pounds apart, allegedly on a uh, you know far past his prime Samuel Eto'o. That's the one. That's that's the one that really surprised me. Reading all the charges, like, hang on, they were trying to hide money to get Eto. <laughs> but I, I want to see it broken down into numbers. Like we know, Everton have breached the rules once. I think we know that Manchester mm. City have allegedly, apparently, maybe breached the rules 115 times. How many times have Chelsea breached these rules? Mm. That's what we need to know it's, next. It's it's like what they've done with um, players caught with betting offences, etc., um, where you see, you know, bans for X amount of months for so many offences, and then someone else, who was it earlier this season? Um, was it Ivan Tony? How many did he have? Oh, it was like 230-something, I think, wasn't it? Something like that? Yeah, so like I said, it's like an economy of scale. You've got someone with like five charges and someone with 230. You've got Everton with one and 115 for City. It's 
because this is new and there's no framework for it, it seems like they're just kind of going, eh, we'll make it up as we go along. But it's certainly going to be interesting to see what happens first. Will it be Manchester City? Will it be Everton? Or will it be Chelsea who get points deducted? Because again, the first one who does have the decision put on them, then everything after that's going to be based on that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens first and foremost. I, unfortunately, my head says it's going to be Everton. It probably just, will be. Just because they, they, they are currently the easier target, aren't they? Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it will be interesting because it's one of those that if, if Chelsea do get um, say titles or the you know the first Champions League taken away from them etc how do you feel about them being retroactively rewarded to whoever came second or do you think they are declared null and void if it were to happen Poor, what a question I think they should be null and void because you never mm. know how a singular game of football is going to go do you mm. is that the right way to think about it I don't know I want to say so because with the case of City obviously Liverpool as as a Liverpool fan as well, if they say get convicted of their charges and if they do get um, titles taken away from them, there have been times when we've come second. But oh, I think a, maybe a Premier League's different though because that's a that's a season's worth of football played there. So if you take out the games against okay, Manchester yeah. City, then have a new points total. Yeah, but if it's like a cup final, for example, I think it's a bit different yeah. there. In my head, at least, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but well. <laughs> Again, a very non-committal answer from me, but we'll have to wait and see, Ross. Yes, we will. Right. Pogmol Chief Howard Webb has had the final say on Anthony Gordon's controversial winner for Newcastle United against Arsenal and Scott McTominay's disallowed goal for Manchester United against Fulham in the latest edition of everyone's favourite show, Matt's Officials, colon, mic'd up. Ha-ha! Featuring yeah. Michael Owen, the little prick. Uh, as we all know, we've already known this for a little while, well, a couple of weeks now, the Premier League's independent key match incidents panel has already ruled that the on-field referee and VAR reached the correct decision so this discussion for the Anthony Gordon goal against Arsenal was null and void, but I guess it was nice to hear the audio all the same. A couple of things I picked up on the first thing. In a positive sense, it was good to hear that they're being really clear in the language that they're using for the decisions. Like they were being very, am I okay to allow this goal, this, that, and the other. They seem to eradicate the issues that were apparently the reason behind that bollocks we saw between Spurs and Liverpool. The negative side, I thought it was astonishing to know they didn't know what camera angles were available because they were calling for goal line technology to see if uh, when Joe Willick hooked the ball, well, he kept the ball in play because, as we all know, balls are spherical and a little mm. bit of the ball doesn't touch the grass, therefore overhangs the line because they're three-dimensional and not two-dimensional. We went through this at the World Cup, everybody. Why are we doing this again? Um, they didn't know what camera angle was available to see that incident there, which I thought was a little bit weird. Um, and I know it's a high-pressure situation, but the way at times they were rambling over the top of each other with no clear structure of like, I'm the lead VAR, you're the assistant VAR, you talk when I don't talk. It all seemed very panicked. Again, I do concede it is a very high-pressure situation, but I expect a, little, a lot better chain of command at this point in the game. Like, how long has VAR been around now? A couple of years? Yeah, a couple of years. And especially now that the they definitely know they're being watched and scrutinised. Like you said, the language was a little bit clearer at times, but just a mess. Yeah. Uh, it needs stripping down completely to its core and rebuilding, not quick fixes. More of that later in the mailbag, Jack, and save all that big picture stuff for then. But yeah, it was. I thought it was clear to see because again, I didn't think the ball was out 
for Joe Willock's for Joe Willock's part of the goal because again the World Cup we had the same situation where I remember at the time everyone was like that's out then we had it proven that balls are spherical a little bit the ball overhangs the line I thought I was fine there the one bit I thought was a foul but I can see why it wasn't given retrospectively was Joe Linton's push on Gabriel. But then again, I think it was all right on VAR's part, not overturned the decision, because you do see Gabriel stoop, which sees his weight go forward anyway, and then Joe Linton's hands are there anyway. So it's, it, you can't clearly see Joe Linton push because Gabriel goes down. It's, it's, it's a, a two plus two equals four situation. It's not a four plus zero, if you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I do, but I'm, I'm just marvelling. I've now realised that my favourite word to hear in a North Eastern slash slightly Geordie accent stoop. is stoop. That's lovely. <laughs> it's like Kayla always takes the piss out the way I say cook and book. <laughs> my nan used to do that as well. So it's some some areas of Liverpool and Merseyside, you'll get cook, book, loof. Um, I nearly swore again. Then, but <laughs> what did you think, though? What did you think? Will expect was fine. Did you think the offside, which you were also checking for, was? But I mean, there was no way to see the, F, the the offside call because the ball you couldn't physically see it with the camera angles available because of human men. But what do you think about the Joe Linton bit as well? But it's yeah, it's the whole thing. Like we said, it's it's bringing it back to you say before basic physics, the old passages of play argument, and going back from the the Joe Linton bit more the. <clears throat> The, the camera angles as well and just kind of just not knowing what's going on at all times if you know what I mean obviously the the, the beauty of the game of the beautiful game is that you can't predict what's going to happen on the pitch but there are certain things that you should know should know where your cameras are should know that I don't know the circumference of the ball and all that kind of stuff um, for the Joe Linton one I'd, I would have to see the um, challenge again because it's been a couple of weeks and as we all know my mind is made of crisps. He's on um, the fence again. <laughs> only because I can't remember it um, fully in my head. Um, but again, I, I was going to say, if that was given as a foul by the referee and the VAR didn't overturn it, I'd be fine with it because yeah. it's not it's not conclusive. But the fact it wasn't given by the referee and it wasn't overturned by VAR, yes, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd be pissed off. But I'm trying to look at it you know, objectively. I'd be fine with it because it, there's no... Again, I go back to it. Gabriel stooped. Joe Litton's hands were there. You don't know how much pressure was on the hands and how much stoopage there was. <laughs> I'm trying to. I'm trying to get it up on Twitter now. See if I can find it. Again. <laughs> I bet you are, you dirty bugger. Um, but no. the other, the other big interesting thing while you're looking at that is the fact that they also admitted that there should have been two red cards in the game for Havertz's lunge on Longstaff and Bruno, who, who. I'm fine to admit he should have been given two red cards. One for the mm. forearm smash on the back of Jorginho, which apparently was not given as a red card because it wasn't the elbow. That was the, apparently the reason given. And also he should have had two yellow cards on top of that as well for the fouls in the game. So at least they're admitting when they get it wrong. eh? That's the consistent thing here. <laughs> I was just re- I was just re- re-watching the Joe Linton one. It's like you said, the stoop is in play. He is leading with his arms, but it's the old... If you're jumping for a ball, what are you meant to do with your arms? Keeping pinned to your side. You could see why you'd be aggrieved if it went against you, but yeah, yeah. it's it's not too much to make out of it. But um, yeah, it's, again, it's it's refereeing consistency. We saw it this week with um, Liverpool with our game against Bournemouth with the endo challenge. And Thomas Frank came out afterwards and said, for me, that is not a red card. He should have stayed on the pitch. But he said, but in the context of the season, it is. Um, and we just need it. 
obviously armchair pundits. I, t- I wouldn't even call myself a pundit. Armchair fans. It's easy for us to say, well, that was a that was a, a red card last week. That's a yellow card this week. That's not going to be a challenge next week. But for the referees, they should know this in and out. Yeah. I'm ready for VAR to go, but more on that a little bit later on in the podcast. Excuse me, I burped as I spoke there. How unprofessional. (laughs) How unprofessional indeed. Shall we go to our highlight of the week? Because it sort of coincides with the last bit of news I've got listed here today. Do you want to go first, Atkins? I will go first. Um, And my highlight of the week is just seeing the safe return of Luis Diaz's dad. Uh, Lovely stuff. The the fact that he managed... It's something that... You know, 99.9% of us will never have to experience. We can't imagine what it's like. But the fact that Luis Diaz, you know, a continent away from home, his, his dad was kidnapped and, what, held 12 days. Uh, said he was treated all right, but obviously you've still been kidnapped, haven't you? But just glad that it's all sorted itself out. The fact that Diaz has managed, kept his head, even came on and scored for Liverpool. It's We're softies, aren't we, Ross? We like seeing things like this. Yeah, I've got quotes from his dad because his dad did like a little sort of mock press conference sort of thing after he was is returned the right the right word. Yeah, yeah I'd say returned. Yeah, return. return. Yeah. Uh, he said the walking was hard. I didn't know where I was. I walked a lot. I rested. Literally said he was awake for twelve days without sleep during this ordeal. But he says though, I saw a mountain that I'd never seen before. Now I don't want anyone to go through those mountains in the situation I was in. So if they if one day they can go through there again, they'll be holding hands with a sign that peace says peace and freedom. That's lovely though. Yeah, imagine having that outlook after going through that. Yeah, if if, if again. I can't speak on this because it's never happened to me and it likely and hopefully never will. But if I'd just been kidnapped, I wouldn't be... Th- my first quote wouldn't be, I saw a mountain I'd never seen before. I wouldn't be able to see the beauty in it. I'd just be like, I was knackered and I wanted to slap someone. Yeah, I mean, fair, fair play to the guy for having that outlook on, on life after that because, yeah, as you say, ours would be quite different. But yeah, it is nice to mm. see that you're safe and sound. Yeah, and that that was my highlight of the week, Ross. What about yourself? Mine's not as serious. Uh, it's a goal that was scored in the football at the weekend there. It was Federico De Marco for Inter Milan. And it's not because it was a worldie like many are saying it is. It's because clearly he shanked it and it's going to get a Pushkas Award nominee for goal of the season, whatever that goal of the year, whatever it is for the Pushkas Award. You can clearly see before he strikes the ball. He's t- I've never heard of this team before for some reason. I was saying this to early Jarkins. Friz- Frizinone? Frisnone. Yeah. It was Frisnone. new to me. And I had a look, and I think this is the, the first time in the history they've been in Serie A. So yeah. up the Frisnone. Up the Fris- the F- Frosinone, we'll go with. The Frosinone. Anyway, Inter Milan were playing this team at, at the weekend there in Serie A. And DeMarco picks up the ball on the left. He is the left back, of course. He goes about 10 yards on the byline into Frisnone. Frosinone is half. And he sort of looks up for a ball across the pitch. You can see his neck. Do as I'm doing on YouTube if you're on audio. I'm just sort of looking to my far right over there to play a ball across the pitch. And then all of a sudden, he tries to play said ball, but he shanks it. And he shanks it so wonderfully well, it flights perfectly over the goalkeeper's head, doesn't bounce before hitting the back of the net. It's a beautiful, beautiful goal. Unless you can clearly see that he's trying to play a crossfield ball. And just the fact that this is going to get a nominee for goal of the year, and there'll be a lot of people who think it is a legitimate goal, like the, like the idiots who said Mudrick against Arsenal a few weeks ago, that was a legitimate attempt at a goal. Those idiots are including this as well. <laughs> the fact he's going to get a nomination and lots of plaudits for a complete shank, that's my highlight it, of the week. It was similar, but nicer than uh, Paul Koncheski in uh, the Gerrard final. 
over from the left as well. Just kind of Paul Kuczynski never in his life has attempted an elephant like that, but somehow find the back of the net. Uh, if he meant it, I think it would have been a bit more like a Van Bronckhorst than the World Cup, yeah. cutting in from the left and absolutely smacking it. But it is the fact but it goes like that. Isn't it? You don't meet the hit. It's, it's, it's like you said, the flight on it. It is. It's a wonderful goal, but definitely not men's in the slightest. No, not at all. But the no. fact I don't, I've, I tried to have a quick search there on Google. I don't think he's come out and said, oh, it was a fluke. So he's having everyone believe it was real, a legitimate attempt. So I, I applaud that kind of poo housery as well. I love that the, kind the, of stuff. The Harry Kane defence, we call that. <laughs> hey, his goal from the halfway line wasn't too bad, was it? Oh. He's like yourself, Ross. He's enjoying life in Germany, isn't he? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Right, we go from Harry Kane to the next segment, which is always called the Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial Twat of the Week. You went first for the highlight. I'll go first for the twat. And by the way, later in the podcast, I've got a bit of a twat FA Cup knockout bracket coming, which is exciting for all parties concerned, unless you're the twats involved in it, I guess. Because no one likes being called a twat, do they? Unless you're Joey Barton, I assume. He is a bit of a twat. He's a bit of a twat. Uh, But yeah, my twat of the week has to go to Aaron Ramsdale. I'm asking the question, everybody. Why the bollocks would you say this in public? To concentrate on a game of football for 90 minutes, I'm finished. I can't do it. So that's why I get involved with the fans and I'll sing along with the songs and someone's giving me abuse, I'll turn around and I'll give him a bit back. Yeah. I've had me two, three minutes of sort of madness mm. in my head, straight back to the football. Yeah. Okay, I've yeah. got 10, 15 minutes of pure concentration yeah. again. Next thing you know, half time's around. Now, this is a podcast. I'm not sure what the podcast is. I don't know when the podcast was published, but if this was published around the start of the season, we've just had the signing of David Rea and how Aaron Ramsdale was treated explained in full because he's admitted that he's not concentrating on the game for all 90 minutes. He can do it in 10 to 15 minute bursts, but at the top of the Premier League, your number one goalkeeper physically can't concentrate on the game for all 90 minutes. So if this podcast with Ian Wright, an unnamed man who sat next to Ian Wright, came out in August or July, maybe even June at a push, we know right, we know why Aaron Ramsdale was treated like he was at the start of the season. Said it a few times on the podcast. On the pitch, he did nothing wrong, but he was dropped. But that would explain it. If Mikel Arteta saw that, that's why he's made the change. Yeah, uh, Ian Wright looked horrified. <laughs> he's like, what are you doing? It's the equivalent of having a uh, a job interview when asked, what are your weaknesses? Not saying, you know, stuff that you can work on, but just being like, oh, kind of like clocking off half an hour early. And as soon as I come to work, I go for a great big poo for 15 minutes. You're not going to say um It's astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. It's, like you say, we don't know when this is from, but it's, been doing the rounds recently and everyone's just going ah okay it all makes sense now <laughs> it does. imagine being Mikel Arteta seeing that and thinking oh my god he's not even asked about the game for I don't know how long 20 minutes of the game in total mm. <laughs> he's taking two or three minutes off every 10 to 15 minutes now in the past you said that you'd take a punt on Ramsdale Newcastle are you still feeling that or are you feeling kind of like Ooh, about him I think I still would yeah. You go back to last season, I know he was... I don't know why... Why did he have to frame it like that? Why did he just have to frame it like, you know, James Madison does? I doubt James Madison would come out and go, oh, I can't concentrate on the game. I just... I think about darts too much, so I have to interact with the crowd. I doubt he would come out and say, why did he have to word it like that? I just... I don't understand what he was thinking. Why did he have to say, oh, I just... I love getting involved with the crowd. I love taking the piss out of them. It's all just fun and games. Just end it there. Yeah. It's... 
Especially considering this, this generation of footballers, one of the things they're taught when they're coming through a card is media training as well. And they're always taught, you know, keep your cards close to your chest until your playing days are done. <laughs> Apparently not. But yeah, if you can't seek out that bit of that little clip there on social media, it's worth watching just as Jack and said there for Ian Wright's face because it's clearly like, I can't believe he's saying this. I don't want him to stop out with just, you know, respect for the guest and whatnot and just, you know, just being nice to a fellow human being, I guess. But you can, see, you can tell that he's astonished at what he's hearing. It's a fantastic, memeable face. Mm. What's it's, yours? Do you, think it's, uh, do you think it's going to become a reaction, the Ian Wright? Yeah, because I think it just I, says, I, yeah. it's, I think the little caption down below just goes like, yeah. <laughs> His face is like, yeah. <laughs> you sure um, so yeah we go from that to actually maybe just cost himself a place in the Arsenal team through a podcast rather than his own field performances to Joe Atkins's, uh Darren England and Daniel Cook memorial to out of the week it's Bernardo Silva <laughs> it's no it's not it's uh, it's Michael Owen of course it's Michael <laughs> Owen we all love Michael Owen here um, uh... he was he was whining on Twitter this week did you see this I did he... see a little bit of it but I want you to explain it in full <laughs> so, so he tweeted you're just bags. Always have been. Troll through messages until you find a couple of negative ones, and then thought the show was insightful and educational, which is our aim. And then he links to a, a screenshot from the Daily Mail's website saying Premier League fans slam PGMOLs, match officials, mic up show is utterly useless and a ma- massive cop out for Howard Webb with Michael Owen panned for not challenging the former ref. Now he's having a go at the Daily Mail. I can commend that. But the fact that he's posted that and then all all the responses are saying, yeah, but it is crap, Michael, and you do give him an easy time and you should press him on these things and it's just fluff for the PGMOL. Um, accept your criticism, do better. It's We we talked about it before. They, at least this time, they were kind of bringing focus on disputable uh, decisions, decisions which, you know, got the backs up of you know, supporters rather than someone slapping the ball and then being like, as you can see there, that's a handball. It's just, Owen does nothing. I mean, obviously they've picked Michael Owen because he's got, he's an idiot anyway. Yeah. But just the fact he's like, you're trolling for a couple of uh, tweets, everyone else likes it, which is not the case because everyone just sees it as a farce. And it's Michael Owen. He's just a horrible little man, isn't he? I'm not being funny, but asking Michael Owen to be a sort of investigative like pressy sort of journalist asking the hard-hitting questions is like asking a dog to drive an aeroplane with no training by the way this dog's had no training go and fly that aeroplane little dog they're not gonna have a they're not gonna have a chance are they <laughs> oh i had the image then remember come outside of uh is it <laughs> yeah. no put put pippin in the front seat of that plane <laughs> <laughs> see what happens. That's like Michael Owen hosting the show where we want the big questions asked, the hard-hitting truth. <laughs> so, my, Michael Owen and Pippin in a biplane. Just <laughs> it's to go down and crash into a ball of flame. That's a bit harsh on Michael Owen. I do not like him, but that's a bit harsh. Anyway, what are you going to say about him? Well, we, we all know he's, he's excellent at flying a helicopter, isn't he? <laughs> yes, I am. Oh, look down there. Is it Pete Sampras on the top of the bill? It's Pete Sampras having a little game of tennis. And then yeah, he goes on the car goes, look, there's former Ryder Cup captain Sam Torrance. <laughs> Hello, Sam Torrance. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's just a tit. I think twat is too harsh for Michael Owen. He's a tit, which is almost more damning. He's just a tit. Let us know but, in the uh, comments what's more severe, a tit or a twat. 
<laughs> but that's that's all I've got to say on Michael Owen this week. Yeah, what a tosser. We move on now to not... Well, no, it's the other segment, isn't it? It's welcome to Brighton Hove Albion fullback Purvis Estepinian. What are you talking about? This is, of course, the segment where we ask you for your hot takes on the grand sport that is professional association football, and we either agree with it or pull it apart. It's always interesting to hear what wacky opinions the listeners have. <laughs> this one comes to us from System System of a Dan 30. I like the pun from Dan. He says, when people talk about how good Roberto Carlos was, they only talk about about that free kick as proof. He was a great athlete that, uh, and that bailed him out as a defender. Cafu was always the superior fullback who never gets the respect Carlos gets. Ooh. Hmm. Oh! All because of that effing free kick. Now, I would argue Cafu gets just as much as, if not more respect, than Roberto Carlos inside football circles. However... Hmm. Outside sponsorships and whatnot, obviously the more flamboyant, fanciful name is the Galactico banana free kick producing Roberto Carlos. With his two mile run up. Yeah, I, I will admit that if I'm, you know, got a spare 10 minutes on YouTube, I am looking up Roberto Carlos three kicks, free kicks and not, you know, the beautiful plays of Cafu. But <laughs> Cafu was definitely, definitely a better player. Um, but I do think that kind of assessment of Carlos is a bit unfair because at the end of the day, he, you know, what, how many Champions Leagues did he win with Real Madrid? He won a couple of La Ligas. He won the World Cup. Um, you could say... His best friends were David Beckham. Exactly. You could you could <laughs> argue he's the, he's more of the archetype of the modern fullback than Cafu is. Mm. But I think it is part A and part B. I think those two really changed the game. Um, but Cafu, he was brilliant wasn't he and he, he captained that 2002 Brazil side to the World Cup he was just a leader on the pitch his defensive work was better he did love getting up and he did love attacking but yeah it's one of those Carlos is the highlight real player but Cafu was the he's mustard wasn't he he's more marketable isn't he Roberto Carlos than Cafu hmm. just with the Galactico tag the free kick the big shiny head I don't know Cafu is a lot more reserved than Roberto Carlos I'd say which I think is what yeah, ca- maybe sets him apart in the mainstream. Not us, fo- not us real football men. We're real football men here. I hate it when people say that. <laughs> oh, he's a real football and- man. He's going to save him from relegation. He knows the game. He played it. He does all of it. Ooh. Exactly. Just like that. That's how we talk. When we, when we meet up for a lovely plate of pork, sumptuous, succulent pork chops. <laughs> I wish it was pork we- chops. It's just the scratches, isn't it, for us too? Oh. <laughs> See you in a couple of weeks on that, actually, Ross. We'll have some scratches (laughs) together. Um, Yeah, well, I think the assessment of Roberto Carlos is a little harsh. Cafu was the better player for me. Yeah, I think everyone's agreed with that. But, you know, Roberto Carlos could kick a ball like nobody else could. Maybe Lauren Robert was the closest we could get to Roberto Carlos. I don't know. We move on to the Roberto Mail Baggio, which is Ross at holdandgive.com. That's Ross at holdandgive.com. We kick things off. Guten Abend, Horse und Clive. That's our new names. Horse and Clive. Because I'm such a big fan of your Twat of the Week segment, excuse me, I've done extensive market research, in brackets mostly Reddit, to compile a list of the 16 biggest twats in football to create the biggest twat FA Cup bracket, in brackets, see attached, uh, to fill in at your leisure. I've tried to keep it light, so no murderer... 
<laughs> so no murderers or diddlers. Thanks, as always. Keep up the good work. Yours sincerely, the bisexual Bovril Botherer. As always, it's such a pleasure to hear from the bisexual Bovril Botherer. What do you do with the Bovril? Let us know. But we do have the bracket on screen now. Clive, do you have it loaded up in front of you? You can see, you can see it. I just want to go off my words. No, I have it loaded up. Right then. It's all on you, pal. Round one, game one. Ben Thatcher, Joey Barton. Who's the biggest twat? Oh, uh, a pair of violent scumbags. Um, Thatcher, how many people did he knock out on on, on the pitch? Pedro Mendes, two. yeah. Pedro Mendes and uh, Summerby, wasn't it, before that? Years ago when he was at Wimbledon. Oh, I can't remember that one. But at least two. But with Barton, it's all the off-the-pitch stuff as well. He's... He's not a nice fella, is he? Stubbing out cigars on little kids and having fights in Liverpool City Centre and stuff. I'm going to say Jerry Barton. John Terry or Ryan Giggs? See, this for me could be a final. (laughs) It should be a final. But it's John Terry. Ryan Giggs, horrible. Horrible man in private or in private for many years. But just John Terry, he's just... He's just not a nice fella, is he? I've never met the man, but the what I get from him is he just seems rotten to the core. A big racist adulterer. Mm. Allegedly, allegedly. Jordan Henderson or Ashley Cole is a bit of a weird parent. Yeah, this one seems... Because some of the names that I would have put in here that aren't on here are uh, like... Well, actually, I'll go at that after we've gone through this first round. I was going to say, can we, can, we, can we move it on? It's going to be a seven-hour podcast, this. Sorry, uh, I'm going to go <laughs> Ashley Cole. Jordan Henderson, you know, he's abandoned his morals and everything, but Ashley Cole, oh, actually, I don't know. Ashley Cole cheated on Cheryl. <laughs> War Cheryl. <laughs> and he's Judas. Um, I'm going to go Ashley Cole. He's gone Cole. Andy Robertson or Lee Bowyer? Lee Bowyer. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Not in a contest, is it? What's that? Has Andy Roberts never done anything off the pitch? No, I think he's just <laughs> a bit of a, an asshouse on the pitch, which yeah. I think's, you know, all part and parcel of the game. This would be an interesting answer. Luis Suarez or Carlos Tevez? There Luis is... Suarez. Oh, is thank God biggest, for that. <laughs> one of the biggest baddies we've ever seen in football. <laughs> Robbie Savage or Sol Campbell? But I have a deep dislike for Sol Campbell because of the ego of the man. But Robbie Savage is a prick, isn't he? So What's up? That's a fantastic story, that. You see yeah, that with Roy Ro- Keane where he's trying to sign Robbie Savage? <laughs> <laughs> Just to fill the viewers in, if you haven't heard, apparently he tried to sign Roy, uh, Robbie Savage, did Roy Keane when he was Sunderland manager, I think, and Robbie Savage didn't pick up the phone when he called him and was greeted by an answering machine message of, What's up? And Roy Keane decided off the back of that, that wasn't the player for him who was doing that sort of what? thing as a grown man. <laughs> Was it Derby County that Robbie Savage signed for and he wound them all up because he was coming in on mega bucks and turned up and I think it was his his McLaren F1 car or something like that and he had it, you know, wrapped in the Derby colours and there's lads there on like <laughs> two grand a week just going, yeah, nice to meet you, Robbie. Give a, give your head a wobble, Robbie. Anyway, yeah, give your head a wobble, Robbie. What a tongue twist that is. Anyway, Dun- mm. Duncan Ferguson now, Jody Morris. Um, I'm going to see Jody Morris because obviously Duncan Ferguson... You know, Duncan disorderly, violent on the pitch, but off the pitch, I, I like Duncan Ferguson. He's 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 an old hard man, but he seems quite nice. Whereas Jody Morris, he was part of that 
Chelsea wide boy lot, wasn't he? And mocking 9-11 and getting into a fray and I think drunk driving offences. So I'm going to go Jody Morris on this. And finally in the first round, Kurt Zuma or Mario Balotelli? It's Kurt Zuma. Again, Mario Balotelli just seems like a bit of a goof, whereas Kurt Zuma hoofed a cat and I love cats, Ross. Um, <laughs> Animal abuser over fireworks any day. Yeah. In terms of names that I would have thought would have been in here, Obviously, Bernardo Silva. Um, Craig Bellamy mm. would have been in here for me. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, just because he's just, apart from the off-the-pitch allegations, he's just he's just a, a knobhead, isn't he? Yeah. Um, any others top of your head? Not off the top of my head. I think we've had all bases covered there. I'm trying to think of off-the-pitch stuff, especially. Mm. I don't know. If you're putting Boyer in, maybe Woodgate, because he was involved in that. I don't know. Mm. Uh, next round, Joey Barton versus John Terry. John Terry. Ashley Cole versus Lee Bowyer. Lee Bowyer. Uh, Luis Suarez versus Robbie Savage. Luis Suarez. <laughs> and finally, Jody Morris versus Kurt Zuma. Uh, Zuma. Semi-final time. John Terry versus Lee Bowyer. Ooh, it's John Terry. Semi-final two, Luis Suarez versus Kurt Zuma. It's Luis Suarez. In your final, John Terry or Luis Suarez, who is the biggest twat? I'll let you take this one because my heart and my head are having a big fight right now. You probably... It's a very hard one to call, isn't it? I can see what you've done here. You're a horrible bastard. But I would say... John Terry's discrepancies rank slightly more severe than Luis Suarez's do. Mm. They're quite similar in some areas. Mm. Then you've got adultery or biting a man, biting two men. Did he bite, he bite a bit two men, didn't he? Yeah. Um, Chiellini and someone when he was in Ajax. Ibrahim, uh, uh, what's he called? Chelsea fullback. Ivanovic. Yes. I'm going to go Terry. John Terry has won the biggest twat FA Cup. Thank you to the bisexual Bovril Botherer for that wonderful bracket. That was actually quite good, that. Hey, Ross and Clive, whom on this day pees freely? Yes, he does do that every single Wednesday. Uh, I've been listening to the podcast from the beginning. I've noticed, Ross, you especially have called for VAR to be scrapped altogether, and it got me wondering why. Now, let me explain. I'm an NHL fan, and they, along with the NBA, MLB, NFL, and MLS, use VAR, good God, uh, review close... (laughs) Excuse me, close and questionable calls if the referee isn't sure. Yes, fans still get pissy regarding certain calls, myself including watching the Vegas Golden Knights. With that being said, does it not show that it's not the technology at fault, by the, uh, but the training of the officials on the use of the technology rather than the tech itself? If technology, if it was the technology that was the problem, World Snooker wouldn't use Hawkeye and neither would Wimbledon Tennis Championships. All of this to say is I believe it's in, insufficient training on the officials' part to blame and not the tech system at fault. Love the podcast and keep up the awesome work, both of you as a non-football fan, as a non-football fan, but 
Oh my god, I'm having a stroke here. I need my glasses. Love the podcast and keep up the awesome work, both of you as a non-football fan, but fans of you are both learn new things every week. My god. Sincerely, Thomas F. Shelvin. Thank you very much, Mr. Shelvin. And you've just explained there what my main issue is with VAR. What I've realised this season, when we've had stuff shown to us like the Anthony Gordon situation, is that VAR isn't actually using technology to its fullest extent, it's actually just opened up decisions to several more potential layers of human error, as we saw at Spurs versus Liverpool. I guess we didn't see that at Newcastle versus Arsenal, um, but that's my main issue with it. We have... It's the... Using the World Cup and other competitions, when offsides especially, we have that th- sort of 3D model of a player built up where they make like a, a likeness of the player and it's put a line's like put through them digitally and you can see conclusively technology tells you it's onside or it's offside. It's not a human being drawing lines and a human being zooming in and going, oh, that looks offside to me, but I'm 57 years old and I've not had very focals for 20 years. I don't know, but it's it's just, it's the fact it's opening up to several more layers of human error rather than just using technology to go like, like Hawkeye in cricket. That uses technology. Snicko's there. The track of the ball's there. You're using technology. It's not up to a man to decide. You either hear the snick or see the snick on the little uh, snickometer. Yeah, uh, you see the the flight of the ball. It's all technology. It's not someone making the mind up off the back of technology. Yes, uh, I've said. You've heard me say this to a blue in the face. I've said since day one. The English refs are either too incompetent or too arrogant to fully work VAR. Um, I will give some benefit of the doubt. When it was first brought in to fully implement a whole new system, we're not talking gradual, we're talking a whole new system. When you've been officiating for so long, it must be an uphill challenge. But it's been how many seasons now? Is this the third season? It's either the second or the third. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can't remember. I think it's the second. Is it? I don't it's, know. I don't know, but... Time's a mystery to me these days. But like you say, it, with, with some of the things where it is a binary and you can just use the technology... We need to go down that route, but like the PG, I hate to talk about them again. The the Pokemon, uh, they're just they've got their own interest at heart for better and for worse, and it's it, it needs stripping. As I was saying before, it needs stripping right back to its core and built up again, rather than just kind of like papering over the cracks. Yeah, because I think the the way it's currently implemented, I just think get rid because I'm I'm a lot more at peace with one man getting it wrong than if it was a Liverpool fan seeing, well, three men get it wrong and then just one man going, oh, lads, you got it wrong here. Then the three of the men going, oh, there's nothing we can do, even though they could do, but they've written stupid rules into the game, which means they can't do anything. But less about that thing, eh, Jack Atkins? I guess you're just about over it now, are you? We're, we're, we're one point off the top now, Ross. <laughs> one point could have made all the difference. <laughs> Final question. Hey there, you magnificent bastards. Do you think the Premier League could do with a 50 plus one rule like the Bundesliga? Uh, I feel like even fans of clubs with better owners complain a lot about how external businessmen from American or Asian countries operate. Here in Germany, an investor can acquire a maximum of 49% of a club with 51% staying with the club and allowing fans to keep a voice. The most important slogan in German football is Fußball Musch. Oh, God, here we go. <laughs> Fußball Musch. Beza, Beza, Bezalba sign. Uh, football needs to be affordable. I could have just said that. Which I think, by the way, Newcastle fans had little banners, didn't they? Saying thank you very much for the, the ticket prices. My ticket in the home end, I think, was RRP 50 euros. Whereas in the away end, I think it was something like 16 euros. Yeah. I think I read that and right I, somewhere. 
And uh, you hear loads of stories. I mean, you went through like a full ticket to service and didn't pay half as much as I thought you were going to. But you often hear that, you know, you get your ticket on a match day and public transport's free as long as you show your ticket and stuff like that. That was but... true. It was from midnight, the day of the game. So the game was on Tuesday night, midnight Tuesday, all the way through until 3 a.m. Wednesday morning. If you flash your ticket, you got on the train for free. Fantastic. Wonderbar. Uh, 50 plus one ensures the ticket prices, food and drinks in and around the stadiums are way more reasonable than in other leagues. And I agree with that as well. Having now sampled a Dortmund sausage, a bratwurst. Well, I got some currywurst, a pot of currywurst. Oh, it was delightful. A bratwurst and a big bun, big big sausage. And how wasn't a whole six. I had to pay a little bit of money with the, the, but I got basically inside 30 euros for six pints plus those two bits of food as well. So it's, you think about what you're going to pay for six pints in England. That's thirty oh. quid. That's thirty quid by itself, I think. Yeah. Uh, where are we up to there? The Bundesliga may be seen as cheap compared to the Prem, but I'd rather keep the atmosphere and passion at my beloved Borussia Dortmund, you bastard, than have millions be pumped into <laughs> by someone who is not affiliated with the club. Do you think this could still apply to the Prem, or is it too late to change the culture? I've seen fan groups happily wait for a takeover. Uh, here in Germany, the fans actively protest whenever someone tries to buy into a club. Sorry for the long one, chaps. It's a topic that I know the German fans are very passionate about, and I'd like to hear your perspectives as you as you support clubs with very different relationships with your owners thanks again for my last mailbag being turned to a full video all the best from josh josh thank you very much i think that was one me and owen did uh, a little while ago on the channel go and watch that one why don't you keep the retention up go and click on a different video on the hold and give football youtube channel that's the most important thing today keep clicking everybody keep clicking but I just to go back to his his little point there of uh, do you think this could still apply to Premier League clubs or is it too late to change the culture? I think it's way gone, way yeah. way gone. It's we waxed lyrically at the beginning of this podcast about how we look at the Bundesliga with heart eyes from across the pond. Um, fans still try and have a voice over here. Obviously, there's a twenty years plenty campaign. Um, there's you know it with. Every supporter group will have, hopefully, if not a seat at the table, maybe a word in the ear of of the board if they can. I know like Spirit of Shankly um, in the past, Liverpool have you know had communication about how things should be done. We protested ticket price raises, raises and stuff like that. Um, and it's what I always say: if anyone's ever coming to Anfield, don't get a hot dog inside the stadium. Go to the community pie shop across the road because that gets pumped back into the community, and like. Obviously, everyone likes to look at Forest Green Rovers, you know, in lower leagues, but they're the exception rather than the rule. And I think you're right. It's it's far too late in the day. And even the culture of Britain, like you're saying, you don't get anything for free here. I couldn't imagine a world where it's just like, oh, I've bought me ticket to the match. Can I get on the train for free? And like, no, you can pay double. That's, that's how it is in England. But uh, I'd like it to be that way, but I don't think it is. No, you've hit the nail on the head there. Just I was the thing that always surprised me was when the Super League was getting mooted about during lockdown, and fans took action there, and it felt like that made a difference. I didn't expect it to make a difference, but I think that's the limit of how fans can really make a difference. We saw when Mike Ashley was in charge of Newcastle, like we had certain sections of the fan base like boycott a game at home to Spurs, where the stadium was. I think it was around about half to three quarters full at the start of kickoff, but by the end yeah. it was barren, and it still it just doesn't make a difference. It's it's 
all in all, it's too far gone and fans don't have a say in how their club is run at the top level like Liverpool and Newcastle are. Like, I'm sure any Newcastle fan would rather have the takeover that we had a couple of years ago, have money brought into the club anywhere else in the world apart from Saudi Arabia, but it's that far gone. You don't get a choice. And you just, there was always a say when Mike Ashley was there, I'll say it again, support the team and not the regime. And I think that's basically how football fans in England operate, like Man United. You support the team, but you don't support the Glazers. Liverpool in the past, you don't support John S. Henry with certain... Uh, what is that? John S.? John Henry? Is it an S in the middle? I've no, uh, W. W. John W. Henry. I bet you call him a word that begins with an S a fair few times. The, the and words that begin with W as well. <laughs> but yeah, you don't, you don't support certain things he does. I know he does do a fair, he does do, he does do a fair bit of good, though, with the stadium and whatnot. Is that... The, uh, running Liverpool as a business... They've done it fantastically, but running it as a business with the fans' best interest in hearts, they haven't done the best job. Like yeah. you said, Super League, he was one of the big drivers of it, obviously. Um, we, and like you said, even though with with the case of Man United, where you support the team and not the regime, that you know the the green and gold scarves, um, because they have to say gold because they don't say green and yellow because that got used as a homophobic chant against them. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that one at one point. No. But yeah, green and gold as opposed to green and yellow, G-A-G. Um, but even then, even though I've got no love loss for Man United, do you want to see them get good owners? I hate Man United, but they're, they're a proper team. They're a proud team. And to see Old Trafford falling down, and it's just, it's horrible. That's the thing, is being a football fan in England, you are literally just, these people who come in are, they always forget it, though. They always just think they are the club. They are just custodians of the club. They're not mm. going to outlast the club. I mean, in certain examples, we have owners in the Football League in England where we've seen on countless occasions them run clubs into the ground. Like, Barry comes to, to mind in teams like that. Those teams like narrowly escape that sort of stuff for like a last-minute like sort of takeover and that sort of stuff. But you are always just... It, they do think they are the club, but they're not the club. They're just custodians, so you are just forced to support the club and not whoever's running the club at that particular moment in history. That's the way it is. That's so, that's the way it's going to be forever. I think now. What What are your thoughts on? Because um, I've been obviously watching the series. What are your thoughts on the way Wrexham's run? <sighs> they seem to have more of a hand in the community than most people of their caliber would do. I guess they really seem to have bought mm. into the historical aspects of Wrexham and what it means to be a Wrexham fan and sort of straw poll in the fans for certain decisions they make. Like, there were certain things about the shirt sponsorship. It's been a while since I've seen the series, but, like, renaming the stadium, certain, yeah. de- like, certain like corporate decisions that clubs in the Premier League wouldn't give a toss about asking the fans about. Like, as a Newcastle fan, Mike Ashley renaming the, the St. James's Park, the Sports Direct Arena, then having to go back on it and call it St. James's Park at sportsdirect.com uh, to give it its full title back in the day. Fans are never asked. So I guess the, the, the plus point for them is that they're doing similar things to what, you know, teams at our level are doing but they're also taking into account that what the fans would want in that situation. Because mm-hmm. I guess yeah, the there, would, should... there would be a situation where the fans wouldn't want the thing happening, but at least they're asking. Yeah, the, the fans should always have a, a voice in the conversation at any level of it. Because like we said before, a football club is not the 11 people on the pitch and the manager. It's you buy, buy your ticket, you buy your membership at the beginning of the season, you are a member of that club. Yeah. So if you're putting money into it... You, your voice should matter as much as anyone else's. Yeah, we could only dream of the 50 plus one thing, but that has long gone because money <clears> talks <throat> and there's too much of it in the Premier League. Mm. 
I wish some was in my pocket. I'm not saying I can be bought off. I just still need to buy a new chair, Ross. <laughs> you not got one yet? That's buy a new laptop at the weekend. I'm buggered. <laughs> Get it on finance, you silly Billy. I've got my laptop on finance and buggered, Ross. <laughs> so then, after hearing Clive F's plea, please make sure to click on either of these two videos down below because that's the best thing about you or the most important thing about YouTube now. Staying on the platform, staying on the channels you like, the more you stay on hold and give, the more we'll get promoted to the masses around the world. So we'll end it there. Click on either of those two videos. They're both great, honestly. I've been Ross Tweddle, joined by Clive F. Any closing remarks there, Clive? Um, it's we, we've we've got a, a, we should have a special for next week because it's my birthday next week, so I'm taking a week off. Yes, we all do yeah. that. To be fair, don't we? If if we can, if we've got the days banked up. <laughs> oh God, I've I've got I've got too many days banked up. It's ridiculous. But uh, 35 next week. That's my that's my Premier League career ended. Not unless you're James Milner. You've got a bit of James Milner about you. I reckon you're good in the I, bleep test. I and I do have an eight pack like James Milner as well. Go on and take your shirt off. In fact, no, leave it on. <laughs> Click on those two videos down there. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for watching. Up the Spotify and all that kind of stuff. Up the Hold and Give. We'll see you in person in two weeks' time. But for a placeholder, next week, Wednesday, the Hold and Give Football Podcast. You know how it works. And I still can't do an outro, but click the videos down below. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>